0: Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in relationship, we grow in discipleship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. In this series, we enter a study of the letter to the Hebrews. In this study, we see how Jesus is better. He is the better revelation. He is the better priest. He is the better sacrifice. He is the better king, and he brings the better covenant. So we hope that you join us as we grow together and learn more of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Subscribe so that you don't miss a single Lord's Day sermon. If you have a bulletin this morning, You will notice three points as this week's study progressed. I came to realize we would likely only cover the first one today. So I hope that you have your Bibles ready because we've spent a great deal talking about this high priestly office and this person of Melchizedek. And the writer took a short break to encourage us to stay the course, to repent and and not doubt, to come to this perfect one in Jesus Christ and this full and finished ministry which he accomplished. And this morning we finally come to the point where we can take a closer look at this person of Melchizedek. Now that name, Melchizedek, is only mentioned one time in the narrative wherein he lived. And it's only mentioned one other time in the Old Testament, that is Psalm 110. Now we hope to visit some of these passages this morning, so I do hope that you're ready for some study. And then this man's name is mentioned eight more times in the New Testament, all of which are right here in our book of Hebrews. For that matter, five of those eight times are in this chapter 7 that we're beginning together today. So I guess by way of summary or refresher, it was mentioned first that uh, we're calling Christ a great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then in, that was in chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, uh, we referenced Melchizedek again in regard to the assurance that we can have in the faith and of this salvation that is provided on the basis of that ministry of Christ as great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so having reminded us of this, I would say slightly ambiguous, but I would say even purposely ambiguous character, the author turns to explain this, or at least his understanding of this priest king from the Old Testament. So this morning, I'm going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 7. And really, we want this morning to serve as an overview. We've we've mentioned this name several times. I've given a little bit of background. And we want to dive deeper into that background so we understand how important this is when we come and study uh Christ in his high priestly role and why that is so significant uh, before we dive in and go any further. So, I don't want to mishandle any of this, so we want to take the, the proper time. So, if you would stand as we read together from this Word of God, Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. The author turns this topic of Melchizedek, and says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness, And after that also, king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of priesthood, have commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from from them receive tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that had the promises. Without all contradiction, the less is blessed by the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask that you grant us understanding. Help us to know something more of this priest king and his office, this role that Melchizedek serves so that we might better understand the role that Christ serves Is our great high priest, is our king. And so, Father, go with us. And as the scriptures have reminded us of the one who lacks wisdom, let him ask it. And so this morning, Lord, we ask that you grant us wisdom, that we might understand, that your spirit might unfold the text to us, that we might see how it is you have worked throughout all of history to bring us to the foot of this priest king that we see in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in his name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. So there are a number of passages that I hope to reference, and we want a big picture, and so we cannot possibly cover all of the arguments and the reference that the writer has made this morning just in those first ten verses. But this morning, like other mornings, we see the writer of Hebrews has made a strict use of the Old Testament. When we first encountered Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews, we saw the author was quoting from Psalm 110, which is a passage that is looking to an Old Testament event in Genesis 14. So the author of this New Testament author in Hebrews is quoting an Old Testament author who is quoting an Old Testament text coming from Genesis 14. So we mentioned that the last time, but I'll ask you again this morning if you would look in your Bibles at Psalm 110. Now I would like to read it. It's a short Psalm and I want to read it for you in its entirety so that we understand the basic nature of what the author is calling upon. David writes this psalm and says, "'The Lord saith unto my Lord, "'Sit thou at my right hand, "'until I make thine enemies my foot, thy footstool. "'The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. "'Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies.' Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies, He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore, shall he lift up the head. This psalm is, is the most quoted psalm in all of the scriptures. The New Testament makes more use of Psalm 110 than any other Old Testament passage that we have in our bibles. And so there's a number of arguments all throughout this psalm, but whenever we're looking to our text and we're concerned with this priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, we can see this morning that David makes a strong connection between the kingship and the priesthood of this order of Melchizedek. He said this Melchizedek is the king of Salem but he's a but we're speaking of Christ as a priest after the order of Melchizedek who is both priest and king we must evaluate this very important concept of a priest and a king the likeness this has with Christ is so integral that it's necessary for us to establish a a good background that the author intends. Who is this man, Melchizedek? Now I'll ask that you turn with me to Genesis 14, where we find our only record of Melchizedek in his life and ministry. want you to focus on verses 17 through 24. By the way, Abraham is not yet Abraham. He's still Abram, but we see where he is redeeming Lot. He's gone out. His nephew has been captured, and so he goes to take him back by force. He finishes that battle after God has delivered The king's into his hand, and so in Genesis 14, beginning in verse 17, we read, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Shredor Laomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he hath gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, or Abram, Give me the persons. And take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth that I will not take from a thread, even a shoe latchet and that I will not take anything that is thine lest thou should say I've made Abram rich save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me. Anner, Escol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So, following the slaughter of the kings, we see this priest king Melchizedek come out with bread and wine to Abram that he might bless him. This is before Abram was Abraham. This is before the law was given to Moses. This is before the Levitical priesthood was given to Aaron. Abram took nothing of any king, including Sodom, who had fallen to these other kings who had taken Lot. He goes and and takes all the spoils of war in redeeming his nephew, and he takes of all of those spoils, he gives one-tenth, to this priest king and then he keeps nothing else but he gives it back to Sodom he says look i only i only want what my men have eaten and those men whom i've redeemed that's it no one has given me anything but the lord god most high possessor of heaven and earth that is what we have just read let's begin with a few details that might be gleaned from our passage This morning, this Melchizedek was king of Salem. The writer of Hebrews interprets his name and says that it means king of righteousness. That is what the the name Melchizedek means. What's more, he was king of Salem. Which is roughly that same geographical location of what would become Jerusalem, which means peace. Therefore, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, was also called king of peace. Now he was called the priest of the Most High God when there were no other appointed priests in the Bible, this is before the law, before the priesthood, no other priests appointed by God, this man served the Most High God and he appears to be offering to the one true God. Now this is significance. This has significance in that the priesthood and the king were both in Jerusalem. He's the king of Salem and the priest within the same place. Now interestingly, we would hear no more. We would hear no more from this king or from his kingdom despite the fact that Abraham would be promised an inheritance where this man was king and priest. So this is why whenever we read in Hebrews, he had neither mother nor father nor offspring. We just don't read anything. This man is left purposefully ambiguous. Now the obvious reading of our passage indicates he was a real man, a real king, a real priest. He was present during real events. This is historical narrative. He's not some mystical representation. We don't look to him as merely the pre-incarnate Christ. This is a man. And yet, he does provide us an image of what was to come. This office that he holds reveals something more than just a loose typology or a pattern in the way that the priesthood would do through the Levitical priesthood and other things. No this this office, this order, not after that priesthood, but after the order of Melchizedek is something special. It is truly one of a kind the priesthood and the crown would not be together in Jerusalem for some time and would never again be united in the way that it is in Melchizedek in this way it could be said that Israel has never received a likeness of this apart from Christ begs a question. What did David, what must have been on David's mind when he wrote Psalm 110? He calls upon this character, Melchizedek, where the priesthood and the kingdom were united. I want you to take a closer look at the events that could have transpired That inspired David's writing of Psalm 110, or could likely have inspired him. And because I have references, I have some recorded here, and I believe these may be from the English Standard Version, but you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5. He records this Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are. We are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King, and king David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king of Israel. You see, this period is when David was first recognized by Israel that you're the one that God has handed the kingdom over. You'll be the king. You're the one that that God has chosen. They set up Saul. and We know the events that transpired there, perhaps, or you can study more of that in your own time in, in the books of Samuel. But we see them recognize, you're the one. God has chosen for himself a king. Now Hebron sits just south of Jerusalem. And this is where these events transpired. If you'll go to the next chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we read this triumphant return of the Ark of the Covenant to where the king reigns. Now the Ark of the Covenant, we know that's what was kept of the holy items within the inner holy places in the tabernacle. It's the, it's the sign of the presence of God. When we read this, if you'll uh, permit me, in verses one through 17 of chapter six in Second Samuel, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Beljudah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nichon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because his error. And he died there because the ark of, of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. You see, the city of David is at Jerusalem. This is important. But David took it aside to the house of obed the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Adam, the Gittite, three months and the lord blessed Obedidom and all his household and it was told king david the lord has blessed the household of Obed-Adam and all that belongs to him because of the ark of god so david went and brought up the ark of god from the house of obededom to the city of David with rejoicing. Again, the ark of God is united where the king reigns in Jerusalem. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. You see, what a great day, a monumental day where the Ark of God, where the priests were called to minister in the presence of the Most High God was brought again into Jerusalem where this king that God had called to be king was raised up there at Hebron, now in the city of David, which is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We can continue to read in chapter 7, if you would, just flip down there. We see the profound blessing that accompanied such an occasion. In verse 1, Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest, from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell thy servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, He shall build a house for my name and I will establish his throne, the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. Now we know how the story goes. Solomon, David's son, would build a temple unto the Lord. And yet we see this Davidic covenant laid out before the King David saying that I will raise up a king in your name and your line that will reign forever. It is no wonder that David would see this event, all of these events that transpired, the coming in of the, this sign of the presence of God and the ark of God being restored to where the king, where God had raised up his king and the, where the priesthood and the king reside, go separately together within Jerusalem and he would look upon all of these events and now this Davidic covenant And he would see it as indicating an eternal, kingly, and priestly reign of the coming of the Messiah. I believe it's during this time that he wrote Psalm 110. Where he recalls this promise and he says, The Lord God says to my Lord, someone greater than himself, that he's going to establish him, that he will rule all of the kings of the earth, that he will bring everything low and he will establish his throne forever and call him a priest after the order of Melchizedek who was the king, the priest king of righteousness, the king of peace. Don't you see what's going on here? David thinks of the one that God says He will make the Messiah's enemies His footstool. He rules. There is priest and kingly language there in Psalm 110 that is being called upon. That is what it means to be forever after the order of Melchizedek, one who was a priest and one who was a king. These are prophetic words of David that are referenced in Hebrews 7 and it might have been understood by David but it presents a serious conflict for Israel. When they would have heard these words of a priest and of a king, now we can rejoice uh, at the reign of David and this wonderful promise that we've just read in 2 Samuel as a fulfillment and and a restatement at least of the blessing of of Isaac upon his son Judah in Genesis 49, 8 through 10. You understand David is this one I want you to remember the promise that was just given David and listen to these words from the father Isaac as he blesses his sons and he puts their hand under his thigh. He says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This is a throne that will be established forever. We can praise God when we hear the words to David Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You're answering, you're blessing where Isaac is blessed. We see that the kingly line would come from and remain with Judah. David comes after the line of Judah and reigns there. The southern kingdom, uh, where you may have heard Chris reference this morning, with the the children, the, the southern kingdom is that which would contain Jerusalem. However, the priesthood would belong to Another. This was a promise to Judah, which was one of the brothers. There was a different promise, a promise of the priesthood that went to someone that was not Judah. If we were to look in Numbers 3, 5 through 10, you may make a note of this. You would see the appointment of the priests. Beginning in verse 5, we read, And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, a different brother, not Judah, And set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Okay, follow along. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons. They shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Priesthood, the kingship. You all see what has happened. The priesthood is being separated from the kingly reign forever. I'm going to establish a king forever. I'm going to establish a priesthood forever. And yet they will not be the same thing. Not within Israel. The king would proceed from Judah. The priest would remain from Levi. There are examples of this being disregarded. Now you might remember Saul's arrogance in this regard. If you don't, allow me to read more scripture to you. Is that okay this morning if I continue with God's word? In 1 Samuel... 13 beginning in verse 8 we read this is Saul he waited seven days the time appointed by Samuel but Samuel this is the priest did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him so Saul said bring the burnt offering here to me in the peace offerings and he offered the burnt offering As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not sought the favor of the Lord. I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Do you see what's happened? Saul took the role of priest and king, and it was his kingship was taken away. His kingdom was given to another because the priesthood was already separated. That's the context, even which was the, the kingdom was given to David. That's not the only time something so foolish has been done. If you would turn to 2 Chronicles 26, beginning in verse 16, we read the foolish King Uzziah, but when he was strong. Now listen, turn here, please, in your Bibles. 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and underline verse 16. But when he was strong, He grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who were consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead. In the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense and Azariah the chief priest and all the priests look at him and behold he was leprous in his forehead and they rushed him out quickly. And he himself was hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leopard to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from the first to the last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Emmaus, wrote. And Uzziah... Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, He's a leper, and Jotham his son reigned in his place. You see, it could never be for Israel to produce both a king and a priest from the same line and certainly not in the same person. The Messiah which David speaks of in Psalm 110 that our writer in Hebrews is reflecting upon, it must come from a higher order of priesthood. This, friends, is what makes this Title This person of Melchizedek is so important. He's the only fitting example of such an office holder that we might compare Christ, one who would certainly be the king of God's people, one who would certainly be the priest of God's people. We know nothing of his ancestry, speaking of Melchizedek. We know nothing of his descent. It leaves him without recorded lineage. Melchizedek only shows up on the scene long enough to exalt our Christ in Jesus of Nazareth. Indeed, every indicator is that for so long the people of God had been pointed to a greater priest. Which we read this morning, even the priests, even Levi, who were in the seed of Abram at the time of his offering, give homage, give offering to this one after the order of Melchizedek. It had been pointed to a greater priest, a greater king, both of which would find their fulfillment in Jesus. So therefore, the priesthood of Aaron, the Levites, only commemorate the superior priesthood of Melchizedek in order in which Christ would come. Heavenly Father, we come before this glorious throne of both our priest and our king, the one who comes after a higher order, Lord, one who was appointed before the foundation of the earth, one who came before David, one who came before the priesthood, one who came before Abram, Lord, one who came before Melchizedek. God, we pray that we see the superior majesty of our risen Lord and Savior in Christ Jesus, our priest king. God, that we would recognize He is the one who has the authority of over the heaven and the earth, the possessor of heaven and the earth, whom Abraham worshiped. He is the one, the only fitting one, who can come into your presence holy and have the power to bring us with him that we might be purified by him our sacrifice. God let us see the richness of your word the way you have been working together through all things for our good the great culmination that occurs in Christ Jesus We are humbled We are humbled that you might that you might make us your subjects your children, you might even call us to reign at your side to make our lives a living sacrifice under such a great high priest. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, that we have the ears to hear your word. That you've given your spirit that we might understand it. Lord, we read in the last days where where many will not have the ear. They will not be willing to listen. Lord, we thank you that you've opened our hearts to listen to your word, to read from your scriptures. Lord, that we would not settle, that we would not view these as words on a page, but a divine revelation in which you are connected to us through this priest and this king. So, Father, we praise you. We praise you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in New Life Baptist preaching. We hope that you join us each Lord's Day In this study of the letter of Hebrews, where we learn Jesus is better. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any sermon.